This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 8.35 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Keith Kam and Wong Shaoning. In half an hour, we have the opening bell where we check out how Bursa Malaysia begins the trading day. But before that, we're turning our attention to Indonesia and the Pesta Democracy that took place yesterday. Democracy Festival is a fitting name as the Indonesian general elections are the world's biggest one-day elections with more than 200 million eligible voters choosing the next president. <laughs> Excuse me. Although it will take a few weeks before official results are confirmed, early polling samples indicate that Defence Minister Prabowo Subianto and his running mate Gibran Rakabuming are on track to win close to 60% of the vote. The other two presidential candidates are presently trailing behind. The PDIP candidate Ganja Pranowo is projected to win 17%, while the former governor of Jakarta, Anis Baswedan, was polling 25%. But there have been allegations of electoral fraud and voting irregularities, including in the voting process for overseas voters in Malaysia. It remains to be seen whether this will have any impact on the final outcome. So how did this once controversial pro bono win the hearts of the Indonesian electorate and what does his leadership spell for the country? For updates on the election outcomes, we catch up with Jakarta-based journalist Aaron Cook. Aaron, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us after what is has been undoubtedly a long day for you and a pretty long night. Uh, we spoke the day before the elections and it wasn't unexpected that Prabowo would emerge as the projected winner. Were you surprised, though, by the margin of his win in the unofficial results? I've been absolutely shocked. I really thought that uh, it may he may have squeaked through. You know, we'd be looking at fifty two, maybe fifty three percent. But I was thinking it'd be more likely to go to a runoff. I'm stunned that we're looking at sixty uh, percent. That is a huge, huge margin, um, and it's all based on the quick count, which mm-hmm. is as as you said, not official results, but it is based on official data. So this is effectively, um, yeah, he's effectively won. <laughs> Erin, what explains this great margin of victory? Is it really down to him, the candidate, or is this actually Jokowi giving him that added oomph to his uh, presidential uh, race? I, I think you're right there that um, because Jokowi has come out so strongly in support of him, there are plenty of people who voted for Barroa in 2014 and 2019 and were really excited to do so again mm. this week. But then there were also loads of voters who voted for Jokowi those two times and then voted for Prabowo because of Jokowi. So I think what, we're, what we've seen there is a combination of uh, those two blocks that have come together. I, there are plenty of people, of course, who were kind of put themselves, I think they'd say, as uh, never Prabowo voters, like we get never Trumpers in the US, mm-hmm. um, and they split their vote between Anis and Ganja and it, there's just not nearly enough of them to to force it to a runoff. Erin, what can you tell us about the voter turnout and the demographic groups uh, that were decisive in the outcome? I mean, granted, it's a it's it's a sprawling archipelago, 17,000 islands, 200 million voters. How, how do you um, contextualise that for us? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? It, it is just enormous. Um, we're still waiting on a lot of that sort of data to come through. Mm. The biggest thing seems to be based on uh, generation. Previously, it has been, you know, East Indonesia versus West Indonesia or Sumatra and Java dominating everybody. But this time around, as the generation uh, balance has shifted in favour of uh, millennials and Gen Z, that is the biggest deciding factor. Um, We're still looking for 
the breakdown of data based on provinces. And that will be interesting to see, particularly out in East Indonesia, where Prabowo was traditionally very unpopular mm. in 2014 and 2019. But that does not look like it's held um, largely so the thinking goes because of the Jokowi endorsement. Mm. There have, however, been allegations of irregularities, both in the campaigning period and also in the voting process. Mm. How serious would you say these allegations are and would it impact the credibility of the outcome? I think when it comes to the the actual vote yesterday, I, I'm not too, too sure there. I think those allegations are still coming out now. Um, they will be investigated and the the election agencies here in Indonesia, the KPU and Boasalu, they are phenomenal and they will investigate if if need to. Mm. Um, the bigger issue is the campaign period. There was a lot of criticism about the involvement of Jokowi. Legally, a sitting president is allowed to to be involved in a campaign, but the the, the um how do we say this diplomatically the 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 level the degree of involvement raised a lot of eyebrows there were um a lot of leading academics constitutional lawyers those types came out to say you know this isn't this isn't the Indonesia we want this isn't the reformasi we were looking for um and I think that though legal will have bigger long term consequences on on how democracy functions. Most of the focus has been on the presidential race. Do we have any sense of how the legislative elections are shaping up? And uh, is there a dominant party that has won the majority of seats? I think there's like 20,000 seats that were up for grabs, right? Yes, it's enormous. So yeah, again, everything's still, you know, settling down. Uh, But when it comes to the House, um, that's a very, very interesting one. PDIP, which, as you said earlier, Ganja was the candidate, has not done very well at all presidentially, but has seemed to remain the dominant party within the House, um, which I think suggests that the party itself has maintained its support. Just when it came to president, they were happy to do with what Jokowi said. Mm. Um, So they look like they'll continue to be sort of the top dog, um, which could be interesting whether they, you know, eventually do side with Prabowo as president or stay um, as an opposition bloc within the House because we haven't really had that throughout the Jokowi period. Um, Gurindra, which is Prabowo's party, they've surged quite a bit as well, but that's uh, going to be a bit longer counting process than, than president. How do you reckon it would work if Ganja's party had the majority, but the president was from a different party? I don't know if Indonesia's ever had that, but I think it would be probably very, very good. I think um, we've had some problems throughout the Jokowi years where he was so popular that every party, but well, virtually every party, decided to join his coalition. So there was never any opposition. He could do whatever he pleased. And, you know, largely people were happy with that. But with it, so many unknowns with the Boa presidency, it might be really, really good move to have some checks and balances within the House um, to kind of, you know, keep an eye on what he gets up to. And what's next in terms of the formation of the government? Do you anticipate any political jockeying taking place, especially for key ministerial positions? I think this will be very, very interesting. So last night when Prabowo did his his thank you speech, he thanks people for about 25 minutes. So he has a lot of people that he's going to have to field uh, favour requests from over the next few months. So he has a few months now up until October to pick his cabinet, pick his ministers, his advisors, that sort of thing. We don't really have any indication of which way he's leaning. Um, so I think that's 
going to be an interesting bet. He was, of course, defence minister under Jokowi. So I think that will be his his priority um, for at least the first couple of years of his term. So defence, uh, trade, foreign affairs, I think that'll be his focus. And he's happy to let maybe the more uh, ordinary sort of uh, portfolios go to some of his backers, I'd imagine. Erin, what do you expect of Gibran Raka Bumi Raka? I mean, what kind of role will he play in this government? Uh, this is a, a big question. I think he's, throughout the campaign, he's been very much either his his dad's son or Prabowo's running mate. We haven't seen Gibran on his own mm. as a strong character on his own. I, I fully do not know what to expect of Gibran at all. Mm. I think um, he's leaned quite heavily on who he is um, in relation to his father. Uh, he did great work as mayor of Solo, but that is a much, much different game to running or well, helping to run a country this large. So I think that'll be an interesting question for the years ahead. There's already talk about him running for president in 2029, so <laughs> we'll see where that goes. Erin, Prabowo had been facing um, allegations of human rights abuses. I, 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 from what I remember, I think it was related to the occupation of East Timor in the 1990s. Mm. Um, on the international stage, though, would this come back and, I suppose, uh, you know, bite mm. him? I'm not too sure because uh, for a long time he wasn't allowed to visit the US and I think my country, Australia, banned him for a few years as well over these allegations. They were very, very serious and very credible. But as he's been drawn more into the mainstream and as Indonesia has become a much bigger player in the world, it's hard to, uh, you know, keep keep the stand on that sort of issue. I think we'll probably see a lot of global leaders kind of just hopefully, you know, hope that it never comes up and just ignore these issues, which is a terrible shame for people who are still waiting for these answers. What actually happened in Timor? What happened in 1998? And I think uh, the world is desperate for, for Indonesia to be a bigger player on the world stage. And if that's Prabowo, then they're not going to mind so much. Aaron, thanks very much for speaking to us. That was Jakarta-based journalist Aaron Cook, also the curator of the newsletter Dari Mulut Kemulut, which you can find on Substack. Breaking down for us the initial results of the Indonesia elections, which took place yesterday. Still some time before we get official results, but uh, all paths seem to point to Prabowo Subianto becoming the next president. Well, he's inheriting a country, a one trillion US dollar economy is rising very fast thanks to its uh, commodities. It's got a growing middle class population. So I think economic policies are things that investors are going to be paying attention to. Offshore rupiah liking this news is risen actually overnight. So I'm just curious how the Jakarta Stock Exchange will open later on at 10am. Will they be rejoicing because there's clarity in terms of leadership? Right. Right. And in a way, as we spoke to Erin a few days ago, she mentioned that many people see it as Prabowo's time to take on the leadership. He has run twice in the past, uh, losing both times to Jokowi. So third time is the charm. But I do wonder whether he'll be able to come out of Jokowi's shadow. Mm. Will he be seen as more than just uh, the continuator, continuing Jokowi's legacy? Can he make his own legacy? Uh, I'm curious to see what that's going to look like in the years ahead. I'm also curious to see how the Legislative Assembly... Um, uh, 
uh, turns out. And if it's going to be a situation where one party is 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 uh, it has the majority in the house while the president is from a different party, how that check and balance situation might work out for the country? Would it be a good thing? Would it be a bad thing? I I I mean, it's it's all uncharted territory for Indonesia. Indeed. I actually wonder what's going to happen to Jokowi and whether he'll remain a member of the PDIP, given that he has pretty much uh, campaigned for an opposing candidate. It's very curious and interesting to me, but uh, we'll be following what happens next. 8.47 in the morning, we're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we will be discussing uh, the outlook for China's hospitality and gaming industry in light of the Lunar New Year boost. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.